Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. If you would please rise for this morning's gospel lesson. The reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it was written by Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. You may be seated. It's not within our own power to make a fresh start. If we're going to have a future different from our past, it must come as a gift. It must come from God. You know, what we need is a God who refuses to be trapped in eternity. A God who not only cares about us, but is willing to show up among us and do something with us here, now. Well, good news. It turns out that's just the sort of God we got. God is on the way. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The church where I worked before I was a pastor in western Iowa, my wife worked with some of those folks when it was time for me to turn 30. And they planned a surprise birthday party for me. And about, I don't remember if it was a few days before or a week before that surprise party that up to that time I had no knowledge of, I was on the phone with my mother. And we were just chatting. I like to talk to my mom a lot. 
And mom said, how was your party? <laughs> and uh, I didn't respond right away. And all of a sudden, on the other end of the phone, I hear, oh, no. Oh, no. I said, Mom, take a breath. No, Chris is going to kill me. Chris is my wife. And I said, Mom, it's okay. Take a breath. And my wife stuck her head around the corner. What did your mother just ask you? And I'm, I'm on the phone with my mother, and I'm standing next to my wife. And I'm like, I don't feel really comfortable in this spot all of a sudden. <laughs> so the evening of the birthday party, we pulled into the church parking lot. All the cars were there. And we walked into the door of the fellowship hall, and I was greeted with surprise. <laughs> because my, my wife had said, his mother told him, she felt awful, and my wife felt awful, and friends at church felt, I don't know what they felt. But it just kind of, the surprise was very different. How many of you would say that at some point, in some time in your life, recently or not so recently, were surprised by God? You can raise your hand, nod your head, however you want to. Surprised by God. Now, how many of you have been surprised by God in a joyful way, in a celebratory way, in a happy way? Hmm? Yeah? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you would admit to being surprised by God in a way that you would not have chosen to be surprised? Yeah, there's those too. Every once in a while, there's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there are those two. And so what, what kind of surprise are we talking about today as a part of this unique Advent sermon series that we've come into? Not every surprise in life is grand and great and super. Not every phone call, message doctor's conversation, conversation with family, not every one of those surprises is, is pleasant. John the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prophesied by Isaiah. Make straight your paths. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. Last week, at least in Bartlett, when I was talking about meanwhile, what does that mean to be the work of waiting and waiting and talked about how when Jesus died and was raised from the dead and promised to return, the disciples at that time assumed that, you know, Jesus would return while they were still around. They'd get to see, they'd get to participate, they'd get to experience all the joy of the second coming of Jesus. And alas, we still wait. And we still wait. And sometimes I fear, at least in my own walk of faith, sometimes we've been waiting so long that we begin to wonder, is it going to be in my lifetime? And, and we hear all these different predictions over the years of people saying or groups saying 
this is when the Lord will return. And we watch that date come and we watch that date go and it's kind of like, well, that group was wrong too. I mean, it's just kind of, I don't know, arrogant of any any of us to be able to think that we can say, when the Scripture clearly says, we know not the time, not the day, not the hour when the Lord will return, but we seem to think all of a sudden, you know, I think, based on math in the Bible, which was not a class in seminary, it'll be this day or that day or whatever. Are we longing to be surprised or are we more surprised that it just still hasn't happened? I think sometimes the kind of surprise that God has for us, the kind of surprises we see in Scripture are not surprises we would necessarily ask for or long for or want to participate in. See, when Christ comes into the world and Christ begins his public ministry, immediately Christ begins to turn things on their ear and turn things upside down. The religious leaders of his own time, of his own faith and of his own religion, when they talked about the coming of a Messiah, they talked about the coming of a king, the coming of a ruler, the coming of someone in power who would come on the clouds and who would set the world right. And I think religious leaders of that time, when they thought Jesus will set the world right, they kind of meant Jesus has come and going to tell all these people that we've been telling how to live their lives, how to live their lives because we're right. And then Jesus shows up. And he kind of turns them on their ear and says, let's talk about just how right you think you are. And they're like, what do you mean? Let's talk about the power you wield over people that you have really no business wielding. How are you loving and caring for the people that I have entrusted to your care? Well, first off, when Jesus at some point starts talking about God in the first person using, pronoun, using words like I and me, they're kind of like, wait a minute, what do you mean I and me? You are not he. And Jesus is like, well, about that. They think they have it figured out, and he begins not only to question, but to just really turn things on them, challenge them. And I like to look at the Scripture sometime, and I like to see some of the religious leaders get it a little bit. And then sometimes it's easy for me to start to think, boy, I'm glad I've got it right. And then it's like Jesus looking at me going, you know, about that. And then I think, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus wants to turn me on my ear. I had uh, a delightful conversation uh, with a woman yesterday on the phone. She had returned a phone call to me. We were talking about some church stuff. And she'd really had, she and her family had really had just a crummy week. Just a crummy week. She's the primary caregiver for a family member. They, the, the family member had been sick and was unwell and is 
needing that kind of care. She herself had been ill and sick and wasn't feeling well. They had a family friend who went through a very significant, very challenging, painful, difficult surgical procedure this week. If you'll pardon the language, this week just kind of sucked for her. Now, I know that's always not always pretty churchy language, but it's truth. And like a lot of people that I have talked to as, a, as being in ministry for, for almost 25 years, I know when she said I was 30, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? <laughs> people have said interesting things to me as a minister. You know, Pastor, I'm angry at God, and I know I shouldn't be, but I am. And I'm like, why shouldn't you be? I shouldn't be angry at God. Can I be angry at God? My response is always, God created us with all of this, this broad spectrum of human emotion. God can handle whatever emotion we're experiencing and feeling. God loves us so much. God can handle that if that's the emotion that we're expressing that day. And I said to them yesterday on the phone, as I've said to other folks, you know, we all have days or weeks or months or maybe, God help us, a year that just kind of sucks. It's just a crummy time. It happens to everybody. It's part of the human condition. And sometimes it's cathartic, sometimes it's helpful to express the suckiness of life. We can still acknowledge God loves us and cares for us. Some days it's harder than others. I don't feel very loved today. But God is always faithful no matter what. And so on those days we look for just a a glimmer of light, just a a grain of hope, just a, a speck of love and grace to get us through for the next day. And when I said it's okay to say right now it sucks, their comment to me was, thank you. We've all been in a position when someone we know, someone we like, someone we love, someone we care for, or even a stranger is going through a hard time and we just don't know the words to say. It's kind of hard. We say, we're sorry. We're sorry you're going through that. We don't always know what to say because we don't always have the exact same shared experience. We try to avoid things like, I know exactly how you feel. Sometimes that's an easy way to get punched. It's well intended. It's meant out of love and grace, but it's a challenging thing. Sometimes folks just need to know As much as it hurts you, it's okay that today just is a crummy day. Can I just be with you in your crumminess for a little bit? I think sometimes the surprise in those moments, I think sometimes the surprise is there isn't always a heck of a lot we can do about it in the moment. Whether we're in the midst of the swamp or if we're coming alongside someone in the swamp, 
We don't always have a rescue, throw, rescue rope to throw them, but we can take their hand and step into the muck with them so they're not alone in it. And so Jesus turns, thing, turns things on, on their ear and even in those relationships saying what sounds like a weird thing to say. When I first started ministry 20-some years ago, I don't know if I'd have been bold enough to say the word sucks in church. Now maybe it's... There are some of you today going, you don't have to keep saying it. We get the idea. I remember about a month after my mother died, my mom died 20 years ago, and about a month after mom died, a dear friend of mine back home, her dad died. My mom was on hospice. We knew she was dying. We had time with her. My friend Teresa, her dad, Ken, and Ken and his wife, Pat, had brought my mother communion and had ministered to her when she was dying. And then Ken had a very sudden, abrupt illness and died very quickly. Teresa wasn't able to say goodbye to her dad. I went to their funeral and we were walking through the line where we all attempt to say whatever nice thing we can. We're sorry for your loss. He's in a better place. Try not to use that one. It's a long story. I walked up to Teresa and I gave her a big, big hug. We've been friends since high school. And I whispered in her ear and I said, this just sucks. And she was like, oh, thank you so much. And I said, I know, I know. Nobody knows what to say, but I was in your shoes a month ago and you've got it worse than I do because I got to say goodbye tomorrow. You didn't. The other part of the idea of, of things that are different, the way Jesus turns us on our ears, the way Jesus turns the world on its ears, is that <coughs> as Christians, I think we're called to do things that other people wonder, how do you do that? Why do you do that? How can you do that? And right now in my head, what I'm thinking of a lot is we are called in the Scripture to pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, pray for those who assault us. And so, what does it mean for the church to not only pray for the victim of a horrible accident, but to pray for the drunk driver who caused it? What does it mean for the church to pray for the victim, the family of a, of a horrible crime, and pray for the assailant, the murderer, whoever caused it? What does it mean in our world right now to not only pray for the people in the nation of Israel, but to pray too for the people of Palestine? We live in a world sometimes that in the midst of division, we feel we're told, encouraged, or barked at to say it's one or the other. You can't pray for both. That's not what the Scripture calls us to. It's not what Christ calls us to. Christ turns that kind of thinking on its ear. I think when we think about for whom do we pray and how do we pray and what do we pray for, I think Christ says it's all or nothing. 
You pray for the victim and the criminal. You pray for whatever you might perceive as the good or the bad, the, the right and the wrong, the evil and the good. Because if we look at Jesus, that's what, that's what Jesus did. Jesus stood with the people on the margins. Jesus prayed with the people that nobody else was going to pray for. Jesus hung out with the people that nobody else was going to hang out with. This is the part of my faith I find the easiest. It's easy for me to relate to people that I don't think I want to relate to. No, it's not. I'm lying. It's easier to just relate to people that are like me or have the same beliefs as me and the same ideas as me. But Christ says, no, you can't just do that. You cannot just do that. And that sometimes is where I am surprised. Jesus says, spend time with the people others say you maybe shouldn't spend time with or can't spend time with. So in the midst of ideas like a 531 moment, in the midst of ideas like being surprised by Christ, what is it Christ might be calling you to do or be about? What people might it be that Christ is calling you to interact with or seek out that maybe on a gut level you're like, like me when I was a kid and dad was like, you should probably do your homework. Is there a way that Christ is really, really challenging you right now that you really, really don't necessarily want to follow on? Let us pray. Lord, you lead us and guide us into ways and places that we might not always feel comfortable or excited about living our faith. In those moments, Lord, give us discernment, give us clarity, give us hope. Give us strength, give us courage to do it anyways. Help us to pray for those we might not otherwise pray for. Help us pray for those who we find it difficult to pray for. Help us in all these things, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go into this week, pray, ask God. Who are you calling me to be about? Who are you calling me to pray for that I might not otherwise do so? Who are you calling me to engage? What work are you calling me to be about? Go now in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father Almighty, the fellowship, the communion, and the power of the Holy Spirit, this day and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen.